Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another great episode of Market Impact Insights. If you're a marketer, you know we are in a world that has gone digital. And part of that evolution is faster access to more data, information, analytics. Uh, It's a blessing in the sense of having that access, but it can be quite a challenge in terms of really determining what is the most important, not getting overwhelmed with what at times might feel like a tidal wave of information. So there's a huge benefit of being able to harness the power of data and getting it faster, but there's a science around that. And we're going to dive deep into all things digital today, including emerging technologies and um, all of this real-time nature uh, to this important information that's going to help us make better decisions. And we're going to do that with a true subject matter expert. Sam Torres is Chief Digital Officer and co-founder of The Gray Dot Company. They're a consulting firm and specialization is in search engine optimization and data analytics in both regulated industries, nonprofit organizations, oh yeah, and in software as a service as well. She's been in the field for more than a decade. Sam has uh, been a speaker on this topic in so many different forums, um, very sought after. So uh, I'm excited because this is going to be a true learning experience. And one of the things that she has a real knack for is how to use digital data to get the insights you need into all of those complex business questions that we all face. And then those technical issues or challenges or hurdles that you might face in terms of solutioning, how to navigate through that. So it's a blend of creativity and technical skills and strategic focus. And I can't wait to jump in and learn more from Sam. Sam, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thank you so much, Dana. Thank you for that intro. It's very kind. I'm excited. So yeah, I am too. And I want to kind of go back and just in looking at your career trajectory, I'm curious what originally sparked your interest to take this more technical marketing path? Sure. Yeah. So I actually first started in a technical realm. Uh, my first career was being a front-end engineer. You know, At the time, we just called them web developers. Yeah. Uh, but that's essentially what I was doing. So I uh, really loved that. And then I started working retail in college to kind of help pay for that tuition and, and book fees. And really fell in love with really branding and merchandising there. Uh, so I was like, ah, I'm just going to go ahead and major in marketing as well. So uh, SEO and especially digital marketing has been that perfect blend of the technical things that I've been doing really for most of my life. Uh, my dad was a technical person. And one of mm-hmm. his favorite stories to tell was the fact that I asked for my first HTML book when I was nine. Wow. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so technical has always been something I'd really enjoy. and then. 
coming into marketing and the blend of the creativity and then also being to apply it to really just people. Uh, I love people. I love sociology. So it's really the application of both of those things uh, is what led me into marketing. Yeah. You know, that's really interesting. And one uh, kudos to you, that early curiosity, because when I was nine, HTML, I that I was so far from anything, even remotely <laughs> thinking about that. So it was early curiosity. But then I love how you talked about the people aspect because a lot of times we think about, you know, this very um, uh, differentiation in terms of uh, path is that are you a people person? You're more outgoing. Tend to associate that with some of these traditional marketing roles, and then more of the mm-hmm. um, technical roles. Sometimes we have this stereotype of oh well, you know, developers they just want to work on their own off kind of in a silo. And, but, you know, if you can blend both of those, that's magic, isn't it? It is. And it's really fun. Um, but yeah, I can't tell you the number of times I've been mistaken, uh, that I must be the social media person when in fact I'm head <laughs> of development, uh, <laughs> it happened more times in my career than I care to admit, um, because of those, because of those misconceptions. But yeah, the, the people aspect I think is really what makes it fun. Uh, because that's what we all are. And what we're all trying to do is make life better and easier. Uh, it just happens to be that automation and technology is a way that we can do it. Uh, so that's that's what I really love. It's the real enabler. And I want to just right off the bat, I want to jump in and address what what is a uh, often confusing question uh, that's out there. So we hear a lot about research, market research, consumer research, whatever it might be. And then, mm-hmm. and then there's this term digital analytics, but it seems like those two kind of get mixed up or people aren't really clear on the difference. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how they are different and why is it significant to understand that? Sure. Uh, great question. And for me, it really comes down to analytics is often just one of the many data sets that may go into research. One of the ways I like to think about analytics is it's usually the numbers or the indisputable findings from data. So when we're talking about analytics, you know, even survey data, the survey analysis might be something like, all right, nine out of 10 people prefer this toothpaste, right? That's an analytics. Mm -hmm. Uh, The anecdotal or the application of that information, to me, that's where the research comes into play. Uh, So it's more about, to me, research is just kind of that larger umbrella that analytics just sits under. Uh, but ultimately, research, you know, the goal of that is to answer questions or make the best decisions. And we do that by leveraging our analytics and the data sets that we have access to. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Is another way to think about that, Sam, that, you know, research becomes the interpretive uh, process um, once you have collected the data. So how do you translate it into something meaningful? And that could be through that research. Yeah, that that does make a lot of sense. And so um, there's so many different areas that analytics uh, play a role in today from a marketing perspective. Mm -hmm. But I want to zero in a little bit because I know uh, your consultancy uh, does focus a, a bit on search engine optimization and what's going on in terms of web. And what are some of the big impacts you're seeing that uh, effective digital analytics are having on being able to shape a better web experience? Sure. So for the positive, when that data is leveraged, man, does it, can it run into some cool things? Um, I think organizations that are using that data well, the user experiences are becoming better and better. 
consumers are getting answers to the questions that they have. So I do think that that is something, you know, and, and sorry, there's so many thoughts that I have with this because it's just yeah. really exciting and I get really nerdy about it. Um, de- I'm definitely in the right job, right? Uh, so some of the biggest things like uh, people talk about, you know, certainly understand there's privacy concerns and those always need to be considered, but the power of analytics and how that can drive an advertising campaign so that you are only seeing the ads about things that you actually care about. Right. Um, we used to in marketing, you know, everything, you know, and, and out of home still does some of this there. There's obviously targeting that you can do in out of home. So I'm not going to say you can't, uh, but it was usually, you know, for a billboard, for example, you're casting just a really wide net and you're hoping you find the right people. Yep. The targeting that you're able to do on digital, well, I mean, and really for the last 10 years, it's been a huge revolution. So I don't think I'm saying anything new there, but just the companies that are using that data, they are the ones who are winning in that space. And that continues to be true despite, you know, a lot of platforms are changing the regulations and guidelines and the amount of targeting you're able to do has definitely changed, right? We saw everything with Cambridge Analytics has has introduced some some hurdles for us as marketers when it comes to the targeting that we can do. Uh, I, I think mostly for the better. Uh, but yeah, when you can really zero in on who is that target customer, what is the frustration that you're going after? And also being open to that sometimes the data that you're going to find is not what you initially thought it would be right i think there's a lot of times especially for older organizations and and more established brands once you know at at some point they almost lose touch with maybe who their target Mm -hmm. customer is because the the market is is evolving right One, one of the number one things lockdown did is it completely changed the consumer mindset and how we consume so, you know, like I say, sometimes established brands, um, unfortunately, just kind of start to lose that that connection to their to their user or their their customer. And when you dig into your data and your analytics and you really start to understand why am I selling? You know, I might be a brand that's been established for 100 years. I'm still doing great in sales and let's figure out why. And then you find out that there's actually three other applications of your product that you have never considered. Um, but that's how your audience is using it now. And man, just imagine if you had never known that you'd never even know that you need to go into that market or reposition that product, um, and could potentially get more of that pie. So for me, it's really just about, it's the data that we have access to now, as you were talking about at the beginning, it really does enable us and empower us to make even better decisions than before and get out of our own comfort zones, right? How often... You know, I think about Mad Men and it's such a great show, but everybody's working off gut and instinct Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and creativity in the gut is still very valuable. But now we have data to kind of help back us up or sometimes challenge that gut or challenge where that instinct was in a way that I think is really profitable uh, and healthy. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, something I've observed in some of the organizations I've been in is, and of course, it's a really good thing to have a diverse range of of thought. And so you get constructive debate, but there's a you know a lot of uh, different subjective opinions that come into a room and maybe you're having a real spirited conversation, uh, different perspectives. It seems like data, if it's, if it's quality data, that could be a great, um, I guess, the great equalizer or the, the, the great uh, breakthrough at t- a moment you know, because it kind of cuts through the subjectivity and it adds an element of objectivity and to mm-hmm. try to get to, to a better outcome at the end through, through all of these voices, right? 
the different opinions. Totally. Um, I love though that you called it as long as the data is valid. Yes, <laughs> <'Cause> that's definitely <laughs> that's important. Um, and that's probably one of the biggest challenges, especially with web, is um, how do you, how do you make sure you are tracking the right data? How can you be sure that it's coming through appropriately? Your data is not, you know, completely populated um, or polluted with bot activity, right? You really yeah. want to get down to into your actual users. Um, so those are definitely some of the struggles that we're seeing. Um, and definitely, uh, unfortunately, we've seen, you know, I've had clients who have come to me and they had done a data dive before and they were making all these decisions and they couldn't understand why none of it was working. And we start working with them and start digging and find out, oh my goodness, the data set that you're working on, that you're working from is completely invalid. Um, and so that is something like, uh, I think you mentioned at the beginning that it, it is a science. I'd say it's also a little bit of an art form um, because it, you know, there's just so much data now that how do you figure out what is the, what is good data and what's kind of just can fall to the wayside and doesn't, doesn't really matter to you. Yeah. It's also interesting. And in, in, I'll call it the moment of truth when you get a new perspective based on what the data says that challenges your traditional thinking, like you were talking about a few minutes ago, with one thing over the last couple of years uh, that um, we've seen is the ability to pivot and adaptability. That's that's now this trait of company culture that's never been more important than it is now. Would would you agree with that? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, um, and I think that is probably a challenge for older and established organizations. Um, and I think, honestly, the, the speed of that is only going to continue to escalate, you know, just especially with what's going on in the current landscape, um, that being flexible and being able to shift is becoming more and more important. Um, but it's also because the data empowers us to do that. And we can gather that data so much faster now. Um, it's really quite incredible. And I think the other positive in just looking at the makeup of marketing teams where you have diversity in, in terms of um, years of professional experience. And you've got kind of a newer generation that's probably more comfortable with um, being challenged, right? Or being open to to pivoting and adapting. So that's a positive too, if you get a multi-generational model for a marketing team to ensure that uh, you just don't get stuck in the comfort oh, of the past. I agree. And I think it is important to call out though, because especially when it comes to digital, I'd say most of the teams are very young. I think there is value in making sure that you do have some of that senior talent. Um, you know, people with experience who, you know, have done out of home or what we would consider more of the traditional marketing, uh, because they certainly have insights that I think sometimes get lost in the digital space because it is skewing so young. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, let's talk a little bit about technology. And I, I know you said this was uh, maybe evolving into a little bit nerdy. I love that, Sam. We're going to go there and talk about some of these emerging technologies, AI all over the place, a lot of discussion around that, chat GPT. Uh, what are your views uh, around what's happening there? And you know, from an ethics perspective, any concerns that we need to make sure that we're thinking about? Sure. Uh, so I'm going to try to tackle that in a couple different areas. So first, with ChatGPT, AI, everything that's coming out, um, it really is fascinating and incredible technology. Uh, and I think we are in an interesting moment 
right now because I do feel like this technology could either bring us closer to our humanity or separate us even further. Mm -hmm. I think about social media. It was designed to bring us closer together and in some ways I think did the opposite, right? We talk about that pretty often as marketers. Um, However, I do think it's, like I say, it's, it's incredible technology, but there's a lot that we need to understand that it can and cannot do. Um, so one of the things that, you know, I think back to um, Samsung, unfortunately, had like a code leak of their, their base code of their, of their system uh, because their developers were putting code into ChatGPT and having it clean it up for them. That is a great use case. But because uh, ChatGPT does a great job of what we call refactoring. So basically taking that code, cleaning it up. Uh, but anything that you put into it, OpenAI now has access to, who also has been bought by Microsoft. So just kind of understanding where the privacy is and where it's not, yeah. I think, is one of those things that people really need to understand. So, you know, obviously don't put in any kind of private information, any kind of uh, confidential you know, any of that, uh, once you put it into AI, you can't know what's going to happen to it next or where it's going to, to appear. Um, the other things that really come into play here is, you know, chat GPT specifically, um, it's been trained only on documents on the internet up to 2021. So it does not have any knowledge of current events. Um, which, you know, for marketing and especially as as fast as we are moving now as as a, a society, um, that can be really damaging. Uh, the other thing that makes me nervous as someone who has been working with machine learning and language learning models on my like I've been doing that for a while now. Yeah. Um, Cornell has a lot of free models that are fantastic, and I highly recommend researching those if you're into it or curious about machine learning at all. Uh, but the problem there is, uh, frankly, we have no idea what all went into ChatGPT and to train it. You know, I know OpenAI likes to tout that you, they used the internet. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Because there's definitely sections of the internet yeah. that I don't want educating my child, right? So just trying to understand, because then the other thing to note from that is that that means we also have no idea what kind of bias ChatGPT has. Um, and I think as marketers, it's definitely one of our responsibilities to try to remove that bias as often as possible, because we are the voices for brands. We are the face. We, we manage that. And so managing the expectations and how we communicate and how bias plays into that, I think very much falls under our purview and something that we, we do need to be concerned about. So that's one of the things that makes ChatGPT and then other models like that, like uh, Perplexity AI, I actually really like because they show you its sources. Um, but, you know, Bard and the Bing chat, you know, that's what makes me really nervous is I cannot tell you what bias is in there. Yeah. And as someone who has worked with machine learning, when I've done my own machine training, I at least know what's going into it and I know what kind of bias is being built in that I should account for. Um, so, you know, that's, that's definitely one of the things that, that I think is concerning. Um, and then the last part, you know, what we're seeing, uh, chat GPT will just straight up make stuff up. Uh, so, uh, we've even got it to, uh, at one point we were playing with it and prompts and it generated, it 
basically said we had a blog post that my company has never written and it never existed. Um, even gave a mm. URL and all kinds of stuff. Wow. Um, and so for some of my clients, uh, as you mentioned, I work in regulated industries, um, including some government agencies. So you can imagine uh, the concerns that are coming out of that, because, sure. for example, what if the leader of a government entity is misquoted or a quote is made up for them by chat GPT? What's going to happen with that? So I think there's a lot of litigation that is going to take place. And uh, honestly, I have no idea where it's going to fall. Um but just a, a call out to anybody listening, you have to fact check anything you get from AI, whether it's chat GPT, mm-hmm. writer, copy AI. Anytime there's facts, you have got to fact check. Uh, there's just so many stories, right? We're seeing college students getting kicked out um, for using chat GPT to write their papers. We're seeing uh, a lawyer got disbarred for using chat GPT to write his closing arguments. And it made up cases that didn't actually exist. Um, now also I'd say like, you should have fact checked that. So that was kind of on, (laughs) right. But, but you know, it's just, it's, it, all of that goes into, you have to do that work. So I think there's still some growth that we're, that we need to see from these tools before it can really do everything that, that people are thinking that it can, but it is a very powerful tool. Um, but one of the biggest things I try to I try to explain to my clients is that it is a tool. It is a tool in the tool set. It does not replace your content team. It does not replace the creative nature. It might change the way we and absolutely it's changing the way we work. Um, but it it certainly is not a replacement because you still sometimes really need that human judgment um, mm-hmm. for what's mm-hmm. acceptable and what's not. And ChatGPT is not going to be able to. You know, it it's not telling us what's right from wrong, or and if it is, I think we have bigger problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, no, it's reassuring to hear you that that last part there where you're talking about tool versus replacement for the human factor, because I know there's a lot of fear and uncertainty out there. People wondering, is my job even going to be relevant anymore? Am I relevant anymore? And then you know, you think about in in our human experience. A conscious and unconscious bias. It's, so we can relate to that. And then that you're pointing out that it's not like that isn't also present, you know, even with some of these technologies. So there is a responsibility. It's not about laziness. Oh, I don't have to work as hard. This thing's going to just do it for me. It's like, no, there's a responsibility to verify, fact check in the, for the integrity of the end product, right? The end deliverable. So just it's fascinating what's happening there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So marketers um, dealing a lot. We've talked about the technology, some of the considerations there. What other challenges are you seeing out there? I know you work with so many different organizations uh, you know, that marketers are faced with today. Sure. So certainly there is the, how do you adapt uh, and adopt AI technologies to make you work smarter? Um, I think that's that's something that's changing, which I think for the immediate uh, is going to affect our junior and less experienced uh, talent the most. Because um, I think it's going to like what I'm seeing right now in, in content is this trend toward firing the writers and getting a lot of editors because you're going to have an AI tool do mm-hmm. all the writing mm-hmm. and then you want the editors to do all like like you were talking about with the fact checking and, and making sure things are are represented correctly. Um, so yeah, I, I see a lot of that. Um, so I, my optimism, I guess, is that yeah. the, 
those things will shake out. Um, but I think in, in the near term, uh, for people who are trying to get their start, I think it's, it's going to be even harder for them if they're not already well-versed in how to be a prompt engineer, for example. Um, other things, I'm going to be honest, from a digital space and especially with search, Google is having a hard time. Um, with ChatGPT being introduced, they've now released Bard. Honestly, they've been they've obviously been working on it for years, uh, but it was released way before it was ready. Um, they're introducing new features into the search engine results page, also known as the SERP. Um, right now, we're they're in a beta for the search generative experience, where actually instead of any results show well. Results will still show below this, this SGE block, uh, but Google is actually trying to answer the question themselves. And so they're mm -hmm. using AI to power those answers. Um, and it's, I'm going to be honest, it's not doing so great. Like I saw one where uh, somebody typed in how to cook an egg. And if you, it pulled from so many different articles that if you added up all the time that the Google article had put together, you would have cooked an egg for like 55 minutes. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's... That's not a good egg. No. <laughs> so, you know, they're they're obviously very struggling. Uh, plus, we've seen over the past year, there's just been increased amounts of just content just put out that's generated by these AI models. Uh, and, and Google is just struggling. Um, they are having a really hard time identifying what's unique, what's useful for users. Um, and it's showing in, I mean, honestly, I've, I've been doing SEO for 13 years now, and the past 12 months has been the most volatile I have ever seen. Um, I think the only bigger change is when uh, they added semantic search. So you no longer had to have a page for refrigerator versus refrigerators, which was a huge mm. win for us in the SEO industry, and I think for users as well. Um, but right now, I mean, it, Google is having a really hard time, and ChatGPT has shown them up. Um, they are scrambling to recover where they've been um, as kind of that, that tech leader. And what's happening is because of that, brands are getting hurt. Right. Um, I'm seeing, uh, you know, we have clients that they are the undisputed leaders in what they do. And Google is now showing preference to smaller sites over large established mm -hmm. brands. Um, which is just like, this doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? Our content is better. It's more meaningful. We're giving yeah. users what they need. Plus like, I mean, it, it's literally things where it's the people who are writing the regulations. So why would you send them to anyone else? Um, so it's, it's just really interesting. Um, and I think from a web perspective, it's just going to continue being extremely volatile. Um, you know, the holiday season for e-commerce was really rough. Uh, and unfortunately, I think we're, we're in for another one um, because Google is struggling and it is unfortunately affecting U.S. businesses wow. and really globally, it's affecting everybody and how they appear in search. Yeah, it's like the world on its side. It's just uh, something that we're just going to have to continue to monitor and change will be the one constant uh, there for yes. sure. Well, Sam, let's go over and have you put your leader hat on. And okay. so in any organization, we're talking about technology tools, but people are inside of organizations and leadership is still incredibly 
important. I'm mm-hmm. curious from from your perspective, what do you think separates truly exceptional leadership from just good enough? Um, what a great question. Uh, so side story, I actually, my very first job was working for a leadership author and motivational speaker. Uh, so I have, uh, you I have know talked this about well. leadership quite a bit. <laughs> um And for me, the biggest thing has always been knowing that your job as a leader is to remove the obstacles for your team. And nine times out of 10, that obstacle is probably you. Um, I think when you take the ego out of it um, and understand that as a leader, you're really serving your team. They do not serve you. You serve them. Um, And that's really when some magical things can happen because also understanding that there will be times where your influence reaches its limits, right? Um, If you have somebody on your team who can outpace you in a certain skill set, let them um, and embrace it Uh, because obviously we're, we're all working together to try to get the best out of each other or ideally that's what you're doing. Right. Uh, So like I say, just, just knowing that your job is to empower and you are serving them, they are not serving you. Um, I think is, is really when we see true leaders actually come out. Well, Sam, you probably can't hear this, but there's a symphony going on in my head right now. Because <laughs> as you were talking, because really what you're talking about there is servant leadership. And I am a passionate advocate for servant leadership. So I'm smiling and the music is playing. Right I'm so now. glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you know, my experience, and and I've talked to many, and similar is, you know, command control models. I think I've got enough perspective that ultimately the best results um, come when people feel empowered and they're energized and it's and inspired, and their leader does know when to step away, put ego aside, and so you're spot on. Servant leadership—that's what it's about. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So you give a lot of advice. I want to flip it around and ask <laughs> you, what's the best piece of business advice you have ever received? Oh, um, so, uh, oh, okay. I'm trying to decide between two different ones. Um, but as far as like being a leader and especially being a woman in a tech-led space, um, and also for context, I am 5'2 and 120 pounds. So uh, I look, I'm a very small person. Uh, and when I walk into a boardroom, sometimes I get missed, um, which has kind of, has often affected, you know, unfortunately, the way that I am first perceived. Because I don't know if you can tell I'm kind of a strong personality, just in a very small package. Uh, so the best business advice I ever got for that was to just be authentic and be myself. Um, it was a seminar that I went to and, uh, I saw this wonderful woman speak. Um, she's one of the, she leads all the purchasing for Macy's had a career in the army. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so here she was, she's a very powerful, very strong black woman. And she was talking about how she would walk into boardrooms and not be heard. And one of her mentors was basically told her that's because you're showing up and trying to act like someone else. She was emulating her colleagues, yeah. uh, those, those often being white males. 
unusually older gentlemen, which there's nothing wrong with that. Like it's, it's a, you know, I'm not saying those people shouldn't be in the boardrooms. Please don't misconstrue that. Um, but that was something that hit me so hard as far as like, oh my gosh, that's it. When we are not authentically ourselves, whether people are going to be able to articulate it or not, there's going to be something that does feel fake or ineffective about what you're doing because you're not yourself. Um, so that's always the business advice that I want to continue on is to be authentic um, because that's when trust can really start to build and magical things can happen in the business. Wow. What a simple but powerful truth. It's be yourself. Yeah, that's timeless. And I know uh, started talking a little bit about this um, earlier and I can feel the optimism uh, that you're projecting here. And I'm curious when you look into the future, what are, what are just some of the things in that broad landscape that continue to make you optimistic? Uh, so I, I do love automation as much as my life as I can automate. I want to. So I think, you know, what's coming up with AI will continue to do that. I, uh, I feel like those technologies are going to enable us to kind of get rid of some of those monotonous or tedious tasks that we have to do in business, uh, which then enables more brain space for us to be creative, um, you know, have more of those light bulbs go off when you're folding laundry kind of moments because you're, you actually have the mental space for it. Um, I also am excited to see how, how all of this plays out in privacy concerns. Uh, you know, the fact that all of this change in technology is restarting conversations about the ethics of the technology and how we're using it. Um, I think that's a super vital conversation that just we need to continue having. I don't have any hard answers um, and I'm not sure anyone does yet, but it is a conversation worth having so we can find those together. Um, so those are really the things that, that excite me. Um, it's really just about, starting conversations and getting people from all different walks of life at the table to figure out how we as a society want to move forward um, to start embracing these, these really incredible findings um, and ideally continue towards more progress. Human collaboration. It's a wonderful thing. It is. You wouldn't think I'd love it as much considering how much I love tech, but I do. <laughs> how can it be possible? Who but knows? It is. It is. Well, do you have any other final advice for leaders that are looking to elevate the performance of their teams? Uh, so for the performance of your teams, definitely listen to them. Um, see what they need, um, you know, especially with all the emerging technologies, work with them to figure out how it can make their lives better. Um, also, you know, I, I implore business leaders, um, please do not replace your human resources with AI. They are not the same. They are not matched. Uh, there's, you know, I think there's definitely times where we have automated things and it has made our lives better, but this technology is not ready for anything close to that yet. Um, so, so temper those expectations and, and reassure your team. Uh, but yeah, get, give it to them, give them some of the power to kind of tell you and, and guide that ship because they're ultimately the ones who are going to be working in it. They understand what's going on in the trenches. Uh, so enable them to have a voice. Um, I'd also say if you're looking to elevate your performance, um, 
really dig into your analytics, the chances are that your first party data, so data from your website, from use of your products, if especially if you have software, there's probably so much in there that's worth digging into that could create your roadmap for the next five, six years. Uh, so don't sleep on the data that you already have um, because there's definitely going to be some really cool insights in there. Uh, there's just a lot that you can learn if you take the time to look. It's finding those diamonds in the mine, right? Um, and and oh, yeah. digging in. They're probably sitting there um, already. Oh, yeah. They're definitely sitting there. And I will say when you dig into data and because of the technology, like with machine learning and topic clustering and topic modeling, like, like I said, th these are free tools that Cornell offers. So definitely check them out. Um, it's actually, it doesn't take that long, right? Uh, when we do these data research projects for my clients, you know, typically market research, you're talking nine to 18 months, sometimes as low as six, right? The, the shortest would be six months. Mm -hmm. We're usually able to get these insights within three to four weeks. Um, so it is there and it is just waiting for you to stumble upon it. Amazing. Uh, it's just the, the rapid uh, evolution and just the speed of being able to get quality information. Well, Sam, thanks again for joining, uh, sharing your experience and your passion and you're motivating all of us that uh, there is tremendous opportunity that lies ahead with these emerging technologies and digital analytics to make better decisions. Thanks again for joining. Thank you for having me, Dan. And a reminder to please continue to give the gift of feedback to help make this podcast better. Go out, rate, and review. You can do that very easily on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.